Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers by film lovers. Each week we take a film, we talk about it, review it, we pull it apart and see what ideas and themes it throws out. And we always end our show with recommendations, further reading, further watching, if you will, based on the movie of the week. But before all that, we'd like to start with what else we've been watching, what things that we, outside of our our requirements and our duty to the show, we decide to watch, or listen to, or read, or take in in some other manner. Um, So Sam, what about you? What have you got this week for us in the, what else you've been enjoying? Or not enjoying? No, enjoying this week. Um, this is a TV program. It is, however, a TV program version of a radio program that I enjoy. There is a radio program by um, Alex Horn, who is a comedian, and he is the frontman of a band, the Horn Section, and it's com- it's musical comedy. But a large part of the joke appears to be that he can't sing, and he's the lead singer of a band. Um, and it's it's just quite funny, and they seem to have lifted it wholesale from the radio to the TV, but it, he amuses me, and this amuses me, and it was just quite fun. So yeah, Alex Horn, uh, the Horn Section TV programme. Is that this week. Alice Horn or Alex Horn? Alex. Okay, cool. I have nothing as, as highbrow as British Radio for this week's recognition from my end. Um, as we discussed in the past, I have a, a deep and abiding love for terrible movies from my childhood. Um, not from my childhood, but we're out in, in the era of my childhood. Um, and I've got a large collection of these, some on VHS, some online and some DVD. And I've been trying to catch up on some of them. And so... The recommendations from here on out for next week are going to be odd little movies, some good, some bad. But this week is a movie from 1983 called Private School, um, starring Phoebe Cates, um, who many of you will know from Fatal Regiment High and a lot of 80s movies. Matthew Modine, who obviously has gone on to do uh, some great things. Uh, Betsy Russell's a big star who's also gone to be, I think, lately in the Saw films. It essentially is a it's a weird mix of an 80s sex comedy and an 80s love story. It's trying to capitalise on that kind of Fast Times, a sort of uh, Porky's, Fast uh, Weekend at Bernie's kind of era, um, but somehow also tie it in with a um, some sort of first love story for Phoebe and Matthew. It doesn't hit all the beats at once and it would do better trying to pick one or the other um but it is it's one of the, one of the sort of the pillars of that era and of that genre and i certainly enjoyed it um though it was a uh it's one of those films that uh, you watch it with modern knowledge you think oh my god everyone in this film should go to jail for horrific sex crimes <laughs> the way that the men treat the women the way the women treat the men it's ju- it's just horrific it's horrific um but if you go into it with 80s eyes it can be a lot of fun um, so yeah, a private school in 1983. I've just I'm, I'm writing the show notes for the show, and I will occasionally it'll it'll be it'll be a film that I know, and I'll know some of the people involved, and I'll be able to sketch out. And as Rob's talking, some that I just have to Google. That that's fine. That's fine. Prepare yourself for that for the next month. So we are continuing with our Ben Wheatley month. And after a break last week, we are going ahead with his 2013 film, A Field in England. Hello, 
think I have worked out what God is punishing us for. The field in England is in an apparent break from the gritty social realism of earlier in his career we looked at previously. It's a historical film by Ben Wheatley. Set during the English Civil War and starring a number of actors, as is by now the norm with Wheatley, who may be more familiar from British TV than film, it details the exploits of a number of deserters from the war who are engaged in a treasure hunt. And that's about where sort of reality ends and we quickly descend into what may be familiar weekly territory, certainly after Kill This last week. So, Rob, what are your thoughts? This is a film that I've tried to watch twice prior to this recording. Um, I've, I've had it on, on DVD for a long time, and I've never been able to get into it previously. Um, I think the, you know, my disdain, maybe my distaste for period dramas is is well-documented. And I've always kind of thought, oh, I, just, I just haven't got it in me to watch a, a Civil War period drama. Um, and so I've only got sort of 15 minutes in, I thought, you know what, I'm just, I'm just not feeling this. I'm not feeling this. And I think that's a real shame, because I very much enjoyed this film, although I didn't understand a lot of this film. As, as Sam hinted out there, the, the film soon slides into surrealism. It soon slides into psychedelia. Um, and it's more akin to some sort of bizarre 60s drug trip movie rather than a traditional British period drama um, I did like it I really liked it that the, the black and white of the film I felt kind of added some sort of grittiness to what otherwise could be quite a um, um, otherwise it's an exploitative movie and I think that uh, the tricks of storytelling and editing that you know that Wheatley picked up doing adverts and doing TV kind of comes for but it was the end when the drugs really kick in and things get incredibly weird, both in the narrative and also in the filmic texture of what we see. Um, it, for me, it was it was a real trip. It was a real kind of, I'm not sure what I'm watching, I'm not sure what I'm feeling, but I'm kind of enjoying that experience. Um, I've talked in the past about uh, Goyen Kwatsi, which is a sort of a very weird art movie um, that tells the story of humanity with no real words, dialogue or narrative. And it invoked part of that for me, it invoked that kind of feeling of just losing yourself in the visuals and losing yourself in the experience trying to tell you rather than being tied up in the narrative. But I'm on the record of liking a lot more of these arty, weird films. Sam, as someone who I think it's fair to say often comes at things from a more narrative point of view, how did you get on with this kind of narrativeless cacophony of a movie? I did not get on with this film. Um, you indicated there that it's not the sort of film maybe that I would have been engaged with. It's not a very narratively cohesive sort of film. Um, I was a little bit disappointed because other films, and I would compare this directly to Valhalla Rising, I think this is very similar. Um, I much preferred that, and I didn't really care that that was... Not narrative less, but but mm. largely reliant on visuals on the process of filmmaking. Um, I didn't mind that about the Refn film at all, and I just did not get on with this film, and I thought it was a bit of a shame. 
Um, but I did think there were lots of very interesting things about this film, and I, I don't think I want to dwell for too long on on what I didn't like. Um, I did, as as you've mentioned, his sort of a history in adverts and TV editing comes before, and I did very much like the way that the film was constructed like that. Um, I'm not a as adverse as you to historical pieces, and I so I, I sort of got on board with that. Um, I happened to be uh, teaching about this time in history at the moment, so I was sort of in the flow of that. Um, it was it was the the psychedelic bits I didn't really get on with, although actually saying that. I was all set to really not like this film at all. And then you just said something there in your review about it being this being a psychedelic film, this being essentially a drugs film. And mm. I that made me think about the film completely differently because I think I had a set of preconceptions, not going into it, but sort of after seeing this, the the fact there was a historical drama first of all, and the the different characters talking about that, and the references to the period, and I think I got a bit sidetracked in thinking this isn't the film that I wanted to be. Mm. And if you think that this film, certainly the second half of it, is playing with reality and playing with psychedelia and playing on the uh, the paranoia around drug taking some of the distortions in identity that other filmmakers in in sort of more a more psychedelic arena have discussed this film makes much more sense and I would have liked it much more so I should have heard your review before I saw the film Essentially, I I, 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 to me, it felt it slap bang in that in that kind of genre mashup for want for real want of a better word because I don't I don't like the phrase mashup particularly when it comes to film genres that kind of cross genre film then that he's done so you know Duck Down Terrace being this mix of the gangster and the kitchen sink and Kill This being the mixture of this kind of crime drama and also this folk horror and this felt to me like this mix this weird mixture where he took the elements of you know, the British psychedelia scene or the Italian giallo horror movies um, that use this kind of breakdown in visual language, taking those and then infusing those into what could be a period drama. You know, the the, the uh, no, I don't know a lot about the period particularly, but there are obviously references here to obviously the real things going on with the battles and the wars, and references and allusions to what life was like and the feeling of how magic and science were um, kind of coming together and the Reformation and all of that. Um, there were references in that, like, knowing that informs part of the film. But then also that slams up against this this kind of drug trip movie where we their their breakdown in reality is mirroring our breakdown of, of the filmic reality at least. Mm. So uh, that I liked. I can see what you're saying. If you, if you go into this expecting this to be a period drama, you're not going to get on with it in the same way I think maybe that's to throw it back to the, the last or season before um, when we looked at Marie Antoinette like I went into that expecting it to be some sort of punky version of a period drama maybe it was a bit it was a bit more refined than I thought it was going to be 
Um, and the expectations I've brought to that movie meant that I didn't engage with it in the way that other people who really love that film didn't come with expectations. Hmm. Yeah. I think what we may, I mean, and, and we can it, sort of see this more as we have a sort of retrospective of his whole career next week, but it seems to be what we've got emerging is Ben Wheatley's aesthetic as a director seems to be to take, as you said, take different genres and throw them together. And what he's doing here is taking... He's, it seems like he's seeing how far apart you can take those things. I mean, mm. Down Terrace, okay, Gangster and Bridge Kitchen Sink, uh, it, it, they don't feel too distant. No, it, I agree it's like as as the as the films go on, they they get further and further apart, and it's almost as if he's he's daring himself. He's saying, "What would it be like to?" throw together not even two genres this is sort of like you mentioned Jalo horror and historical drama and psychological drug trip what would you like to throw all three of those together I mean mm. they are just about as far apart as you get so what would happen if you put those together well the director has has uh, having read some interviews about him about this film he did say that he's had a script for this knocking around for years and he could never nail it and it took his, his wife, Amy, to come in and overhaul it and add the, uh, the psychedelia elements to it, to, for it to work for him. And I think that's interesting. Like, it's, it's, as, you, as you say, it's, the, it's almost that kind of pushing of boundaries. And filmmakers, I think, often come and fall into sort of two camps and they move between the two of them, like being very comfortable in what they do and really pushing those boundaries. Mm. Um, and sometimes we've talked about, you know, they, they clearly fall into a groove and they just kind of do that. And they're good at it, you know. And my, my, one of my favourite directors, um, Spielberg, is kind of in a groove. Like, he kind of does the same thing. It's a very good thing. He does it very, very well. But I'm not expecting a Spielberg to break out with some sort of, you know, intense horror movie. Mm. That isn't what he does. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like Wheatley, not only mixing his his styles with the movie, he's seeking to push out into different kinds of movie and seeing what movies can be. And then, so this is a you know the, the guy has had like a, a rise to success over over his movies, um, Down Terrace and Oak. At this point, he's doing quite well. And then to come back with this, you feel like he's really like he's trying to push a himself, but also film. Mm. Um, Next week, we're moving into um, his later period when he's moving to more Hollywood-esque movies. Um, I have heard some rumours uh, online that he may be touted to doing a Star Wars film at some point. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, he's clearly moved out of the British industry. And I'm very intrigued to see how this this aesthetic and this kind of drive of his translates. Yeah. Um, because he, he makes, for, I mean, and I also haven't, like none of these films, I think, are you know, breaking my top twenty films of all time. He makes very interesting films and very unusual films, mm. yeah. um, and I'm very intrigued to see how that moves on. Like once he gets access to you know Hollywood and starts to churn out Hollywood movies, are they still going to be Ben Wheatley movies? You know, we, you know, Edgar Wright obviously is another British export who did some great British movies, went over Hollywood and didn't quite land in the same way. You know, and I'm intrigued to know how that works for Wheatley. Yeah, I think. On on the uh, going back to this film, but I think that the character of O'Neill is it, it's almost like it, going back to what you're saying about um, 
pushing boundaries. It's almost like this figure, the sort of sort of shaman, sort of Puritan father, sort of religious, sort of gangster, sort of godfather. You don't really know what he is. Whatever he mm-hmm. is, it seems like th- this is this boundary pushing figure that that Wheatley is embodying in his films. I've got a, a line. I mean, from sort of, I think it's just after he um, tortures Whitehead and then leads leads him around the field as a divining rod tied up. Um, he says, "The world is turned upside down, and so are its pockets." Now, the first bit is um, "world turned upside down." Uh, classic reference to um, sort of high culture something that Rabelais was talking about centuries ago and many sort of dramatists and authors have talked, it's what's behind the concept of the fool at court, it's why the jester can make fun of the king sort of thing, so it's it's like a, Mm. a really old trope but so it's pockets, what he's doing there is just taking this sort of high culture line and then saying, you know what, actually I'm subverting that completely. I'm I'm a gangster at heart. What I'm focused on is material gain. That's what mm. this is all about. So it, and it comes across at the time as sort of saying to Whitehead, look, this is me. I can match your book learning and then I can be smart as well. I can be street smart as well. And that seems to be what Wheatley's doing. He's saying, look, I can do high culture, but you know what? I can do this as well. I can do the big things and I can do the little things, the, the nitty gritty as well. So this, and that's, that's like you said, it would be really interesting to see him in a Hollywood environment because that's an environment where you do the big stuff. And you do yes. not necessarily the high culture stuff, but the the big popular, maybe high pop culture is a way to put it, sort of stuff. And you think, well, how is he going to, it, for want of a better phrase, keep things real as Ben mm. Wheatley in Hollywood? Because even, I mean, that's the thing. Even with this film, and we've talked a lot about the psychedelia of this film um, and the sort of the surrealist nature of its ending. Um, that it um, it still feels kind of, as we've used this word a lot, gritty and grimy. Um, it still has that element of tangibility. And even as we move towards, I suppose, the more mystical endings a bit of the film and the more kind of, uh, I say, surrealist parts of the, of the movie, it never loses that, 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 that tangibility to it. Um, you don't move into the world of the fantastical. You still feel it. So I feel that's a reference back to you know the Valhalla Rising talked about the other time. There's that feeling of like you feel like you're in the dirt. Um, having watched a lot of these obscure, weird city movies that inspired this, some of them they just disappear into nowhere. Like if you think of a a more sort of pop culture example of this, you look at the Austin Powers movies. Mm. And the Austin Powers movies, which have a quite a straight narrative, do have these sort of interstitial dance movements. You know, they suddenly cut, when they're changing from location to location, it cuts to everyone dancing, um, sort of in in this sort of flower power way. And that's a sort of similar sort of version where there's a disconnect between the narrative you're seeing and and this kind of the disconnection that happens in their lives. But this this Kingsman maintain that, and and you end up. 
Like you, there's a flow of the movie. You don't jump into weirdness. You feel the weird. The weirdness kind of creeps up on you, mm. uh, inch by inch. It's like, oh, they're pulling up a rope, and then suddenly a person's dead. Like, well, that's a bit odd. And then, obviously, the divining rod. Um, it becomes that is even weirder, and like it just slowly starts to dissolve as a movie, um, and offers us less of a narrative, more of an experience. And I do want to. Go, I think I like the fact the film really offers no answers whatsoever. Having come from Kill List last week, which offered probably maybe a few more answers, and there may be a, a more of an actual narrative hidden in there. This film, it feels like there is no... like there, there isn't. I can't watch a film again and again and again and work out what's going on. I'm not going to. Mm. Because we left reality behind. Yeah, I, you know, the, the, my, my, notes, my notes ended with a question. It was... I mean, what is this final shot? Has Whitehead renounced religion? What is going on here? Mm. It, it, and the film, I mean, so the film ends with him kind of going back through the field, but back through the hedge, um, and uh, finds friend and Jacob and Cutter still there and, and waiting for him. Um, and there's there's elements of you know going into the underworld into this of Hades of purgatory. Um, there's the idea of O'Neill being the devil. Um, and what does that, you know, are we looking at a Judeo-Christian analogy of what's going on here? And what is it given its period more pagan, possibly? Mm. Um, it, it's The film is one of those movies where it's trying to set itself up to possibly be interpreted in so many ways. Um, you know, the, 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 you end up with the end, the, the very end, you mentioned the little, little coda, of questioning the nature of everything. You know, and the fact that in effect, even before the really weird endings, friend dies and comes back, um, and you see him kind of he, he gets reborn. There's obviously uh, sort of a messiah esque uh, sort of resurrection bit going on there as well, and it feels like it's throwing a lot of metaphors at the wall, and it isn't too concerned about which ones stick. Mm. And I would um, possibly think that's maybe a failing of the movie. I think the film would have been stronger if there was something it was getting at. Um, even if we didn't know. Um, it, even if it wasn't portrayed to us. The film, by its nature, feels like maybe they've got... They, ha- they, ha- they haven't got a clue working on, mm. let alone from our end. Yeah. That's, and it feels... that That's why I'm not really surprised when you say you yeah, kicking around for ages, because this feels very, say juvenile but it feels like it comes from a a young director's mind in that way mm. um i wouldn't be surprised yeah. if this were an earlier film it does feel very i mean and this is not meant in, in, in the way it may sound as a hard way but it feels very kind of like very first film very student film school kind of film mm. and i say this as someone who's, who's been through got, got a film degree and, and made and shot films that are I'm so clever. Look at me. I'm a film student. I'm going to do this thing. Um, it feels very like that. Obviously, I think done in a far more technical and creative manner. But so that's what I'm, I'm feared we'll lose next week is his feeling of like, he's still just playing around. He's still just having fun making weird movies. Mm. Um, and as much as I like Hollywood, it isn't a, a place that often deals well in the weird. Mm-hmm. Um, it likes a solid return on investment for its money. Yeah. So, do you have some recommendations for us, Sam? I know you weren't keen on this particularly, but is there, is, is there a better place to point us? Yes, well, I'm not, not a huge fan of this thematically, but I do have a couple of suggestions. 
Um, one is a producer, Claire Jones, who worked on this. Um, now, I have a reason behind this recommendation. The recommendation, it, it you may not expect it to be the sort of thing I'd recommend. It's Nanny McPhee from 2005. I bring this up, not because it's a great film, although, okay, it's, it's not a bad film. The sequel, I should imagine, is not worth watching, but the first one was pretty good. The reason I bring this up is for you, Rob, because this is a film I looked at and was struck by the colours and thought, that's really interesting. And I think someone who knows more about colour in film would have lots of interest and lots of interesting reactions to the use of colour in that film. So that's my recommendation. That's one recommendation. Second recommendation is um, Michael Smiley, who... It was familiar from last week, and indeed he was Pringle in Down Terrace, who's one of Ben Wheatley's favourites. He was in one episode of a TV series. This is not a huge part, so this isn't a particularly strong connection. But I did really enjoy the series, and this appears to be a, a theme from last week. I was sorry it didn't get recommissioned. Um... So it's a single three episode series. It's Ambassadors from 2013. It was a Web vehicle. And it was focused on ambassador to a fictional, a British ambassador to a fictional Asian country. And it was, it, it was very nicely judged. And it, some of the stories were interesting in a kind of a political intrigue type way, but it, it kind of knew it was was ridiculous and it was pricking that pomposity around sort of international diplomacy that, that can exist in, in quite a, a funny way. And I enjoyed it and I was sorry it wasn't renewed. So there's my recommendation yeah. this week. Nanny McPhee and Ambassadors. Excellent, excellent. I've also got two, um, both mine are movies. Um, one is a Atley movie, um, and one is a as close to thematic as you're going to get with this kind of thing. So, my first of all, my actor. Um, as you mentioned, a lot of the um, actors in this are British TV or kind of minor character actors. Um, and the character of Jacob, um, one of the men they come across, played by Peter Fernando, um, who's been in a lot of things, um, but it did pop up in a movie from last year which i really really enjoyed um it has some problems and it has some certainly some racial insensitivities but i've got a lot of time for the original anime and the remake and that is 2017's ghost in the shell it is flawed as a movie but one that i'm i'm happy to sort of accept the flaws and still enjoy he plays cutter who ultimately is the the villain of the piece a um sort of multinational CEO who is uh, sort of doing nefarious deeds. But it's a film, you know, having loved the anime, one of the few animes that I really do enjoy, having seen a lot of that come to life was a great pleasure for me. And the film got, because of some problems, um, notably around casting Scarlett Johansson as a historically uh, Asian character, um, it didn't maybe get the uh, sort of the love that it may have deserved. So I wanted to champion that a little bit. The other one is we talked a lot about this film being a drug trip and, and about sort of the experiences of drug and that feeling of discombination that comes with drugs and the feeling of disconnection from the world. 
Um, I wanted to talk about another drug film that I saw probably way back um, when I was about 17, 18. It's one of the first really weird films that I ever saw. Um, and that's Naked Lunch. Uh, which is a Cronenberg film based on a book of the same name. Um, it's about a exterminator um, getting addicted to the the spray that he uses to kill bugs, um, and how he starts to hallucinate giant animals. And he starts to hallucinate his typewriter becoming a mich- alive, and all the Cronenberg tropes of the kind of the weird mixture of man and machine and nature and nurture, and this kind of biomechanical goop that sort of lines all his movies it has all of that but very may a drug trip point of view it is a very weird book and is a very weird movie and many people have thought the book was unfilmable and the film does a, a fair job of it if you like the weirdness of this movie if you like the the bizarre nature of what it presents to you in terms of visuals and cutting and style, then Naked Lunch is worth checking out. Um, I haven't read the book in many, many years. I don't know if Sam, being the literary folklore, has knows the book. I um, know the book, haven't read it. Um, but it is it is weird. It's very weird. Deeply weird. Um, so yeah, those are mine. Uh, Ghost in the Shell and Naked Lunch. Great. Well, if you are interested in getting in touch with either of us you can do so on twitter at prestige podcast you can find just me at rob Kaji. and just me at life underscore academic and guys if you um want to hear more of me not sam unfortunately um i have popped up this week on another movie podcast i'm sorry sam oh, i've been cheating on you damn you. um i have popped up on uh, the movie morgue which is a in-depth film discussion podcast um and i've convinced them to let me talk about elvira mistress of the dark um so <laughs> they're a very serious show and i've made them watch this bizarre cult movie <laughs> um so you can check that out anywhere you get podcasts just look up the movie morgue and you will find my episode about elvira Till then, guys, I shall see you next week. And Sam too. Yeah, maybe.